I wasn't choosing off of patterns. I wasn't choosing off of my programming of what I had played out in the past. You are a clean slate that I didn't recognize. I think that was the greatest gift. You have been the greatest, the greatest gift of my life. Welcome. I'm Alyssa Nobriga, your host of the Healing and Human Potential podcast, a place for you to discover the multidimensionality of what it means to be human. Over the past 20 years, I've trained thousands of coaches in my methodology, leveraging my experience as a former psychotherapist, and I'm here to share with you all the wisdom and insights that I've learned along the way. Each week, I'll share with you life-changing tools to support you in awakening and manifesting your dream life from the inside out. We'll be exploring the intersection between ancient wisdom and modern everyday life, really diving deep into the art of human potential through the lens of psychology, spirituality, and coaching. Let's let the magic unfold. I have a very special guest with me today, my husband, Emilio. I am so excited to have him on because I want to share about our journey. We just celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary, and I thought that this would be a really fun and beautiful way to share our story and everything that we've learned being together over the last 14 years. I think there are a lot of misconceptions about what marriage is, like we lose our freedom in it, but marriage gets to be whatever we want it to be. It can be a place for safety, deep healing, and growth. And I know when I was single and contemplating if I even wanted to get married, I was looking for examples of couples that had been together for a long time and that were still genuinely in love and happy. And it was hard for me to find those examples, but I did find a few and that's all I needed. And so I just want to share with you some of our story and the lessons that we've learned along the way in case it serves you on your path. I love you so much. Even you just sitting down right now with your full presence is nourishing. And I'm happy that we get to share about our experience in marriage and relationship together. I thought it would be beautiful. It's distracting me how present you are actually. Um, I thought it would be beautiful to share with people about how we met to start there and the evolution of our relationship over the years. So I'll start us off and then you interrupt me where you feel called, okay? Okay. So we met at a master's program in spiritual psychology and we were friends at first, right? You were completing a marriage. I went and traveled the world. You were actually in my mom's class the year behind me because I missed a, a weekend that I had to make up. What was your experience of that weekend of meeting me? Uh, I remember being very moved and touched by your light mm. and your presence. And uh, and then when we interacted at first, it, uh, there was a knowing that there was going to be something and it felt like it was going to be work related. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just to give people context in my second year of, of this program, you do something that has heart and meaning for you. And I wanted to take consciousness work and the, the healing tools that I was discovering to the masses. And I thought media would be the quickest way to do it. But because I wasn't living it yet, I was still learning. I was very much a student. I wanted to highlight other teachers. And so you asked me, what was your second year project? And I was so lit up about taking con- like media as medicine, conscious m- media out into the world. And you were like, well, I own a production company. This is exactly what I want to be doing as you were shifting. And so we started working together as a... Cons- no, no, wait, wait, wait. Wait, 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 wait. So then I said, I have this script oh. that I've been trying to work on. 
<laughs> that uh, is a great script. It had Jack Black and uh, it's a great script. Mailman and the Expanding Universe. Mm-hmm. Wait, I, uh, anyway, so I sent it to you and you totally ignored me. I did. You sent me a huge document, which for one, reading comprehension is my learning disability. So it's like however many pages of a script. I'm just like, this is a lot of work. This is not what I'm interested in. So yes, I ignored your email. Like, Can I have the email right? <laughs> she seems so into this. I, I, I am. I was. And, uh-huh. and then we started as friends. We started exploring and then doing some consulting a yeah. little bit. And one of my best friends invited you to dance with us mm. and she then she bailed on us and it ended up being you and I. So this conscious dance class that we did, which is really moving to what your body wants to do. It's not dancing in the traditional way. And so this class ended up being a smaller group of maybe 20 and they have you partner up as with somebody and Emilio and I partnered up and this beautiful human who starts, it's like, have your partner move in the ways that you want them to move. So Emilio literally takes my hips with your hips behind me and starts like moving your (laughs) hips with my hips. I'm like, and this was the time in my life where I was learning and discovering literal listening, not making any meaning about it with my mind. And so the instructor said, just say yes. And everything inside of my body was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to give him the wrong impression. And so you were just like gyrating my hips. I was saying no, but the woman said yes. And so I just kept surrendering. In the beginning of us getting together, I know we had this mantra over the course of a few weeks, which I'll share You know, all the different beautiful things that unfolded in this surrender experiment, which was, this is out of our control. Mm. Like this is what life wanted. And it was over a series of few different dances that we kept getting closer together. So that was say like on a Monday and it was still a really beautiful experience, right? We like went and got Gatorade afterwards. We ended up at a Ralph's in having a, um, sitting in the middle of the, the patio display furniture, drinking a bottle of champagne, having a really beautiful time. And just like all this spontaneity and all of this play that was so a big part of our, the beginning. But later that week, I wanted to take you to Ojai because Byron Katie, who I really love her work, was doing an inquiry circle. And so on the way, after being friends, had this, I come back from traveling the world. You um, really were moving out of a, a marriage and completing that consciously. And then I take you to Ojai and on the way to Ojai, you profess your love for me the first time. And we're late, mind you. And I didn't know how to respond because it wasn't my truth yet. And you pull up and park, you share it. I thought I did it gracefully and like close the door without responding. It doesn't sound like it. And then we go into the Byron Katie retreat or this inquiry circle. And the prompt is, I need your love. Is it true? And I felt like you got it in that moment, that you didn't need me to respond, that the love you felt for me was yours. And that had been some of the work that I'd been doing for nine months dating myself prior to being with you. And I really loved that work. And I think it's an important, there's so many lessons I learned and I'll share another podcast on the four stages of love because earlier when you were projecting love onto me, I didn't find it as attractive because I knew I was a source of it. And so I didn't want to be your source. I wanted I wanted you to really wake up to that with inside of you. That was really attractive to me. And you started doing that through the work. So anyways, we go to this Byron Katie event. 
some beautiful woman's like, want to go to a conscious dance class right after? And we said yes in this surrender, beautiful experiment. And we go into this class. Somebody's like, are you guys together? We said no. And for sure, by the end of that dance, we were together, like nose to nose, deeply, intimately connected. It was, it was, unev- it was just inevitable. And after that dance, this woman was like, oh, you should go to the hot springs here. And oh, hi. Well, like, we don't have, we don't know how to get there. And we don't have a towel. She's like, here's a map. Here's a towel. Go. And we're under the stars in Ojai in a hot spring, nobody else there. And you're just holding me under the stars. And you're like, I can see us old together. You remember this? I do. And you were the- It freaked you out. It freaked me out. (laughs) It freaked me out. So the next morning I message you on email saying, this is a for now thing. Because I didn't want you to get your hopes up. And my dad told me to be really honest with people. And you were the one person I didn't recognize. And I'm so glad that I didn't recognize- The one partner. The one partner that I didn't recognize- thinking you were my partner because I wasn't choosing off of patterns. I wasn't choosing off of my programming of what I had played out in the past because I had healed it directly with my mom. You were a clean slate that I didn't recognize. I think that was the greatest gift. You have been the greatest, the greatest gift in my life. Mm. And so me saying this is a for now thing, 14 years later, I'm so grateful that I just couldn't see it at the time. And then I, then I chose from what was fresh and in, in, in this place of surrender of not recognizing. I know, you know, as a former psychotherapist with couples, people used to say, like, if you walk into a room and there's somebody that you're a hundred, like, you're like, I want and need them. I'm repulsed by them. And there's somebody neutral. It's usually healthiest to go with the one that's neutral. And that makes sense now. We're never going to just then not, if we're like, I have to have this person, we're going to go there. But there's a lot of healing to work out when we do. And it's good to stay awake in that. But what was some of your experience of our initial meeting? (laughs) (laughs) I love you, baby. It's nice to witness you. Mm. You know, when you were just saying it's a for now thing, I realized that it still is a for now thing. Mm. And it's a for now thing in the sense that the moment that I think I know you or I place ideas onto you of assumptions or what I imagine you're doing or thinking or believing or how you're showing up in any given moment, I lose out on the discovery of you fresh. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the gift of, of us is that we do get to discover each other fresh. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's still a for now thing. Yeah. And that was one of your vows. We just recently reviewed our vows 10 years later. And it was like, what, was, what did you put in the vow? Just like rediscovering you. Yeah, moment to moment. Moment to moment. And I think that's important the longer you, we've been with somebody to keep that fresh perspective of discovery. Yeah. I want to I want to underline sort of the the um, this thing you reference about your four stages of love and the recognizing the love that you are. And I also want to point out that at a stage that can be a safety mechanism for um, not getting your heart broken. Yeah, depending on where it comes from. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. And I know that, to, and to know, to and I'll just echo this just to clarify it because I haven't done that podcast yet. Mm. So, help if there's this 
oh, this love is what I am. Nobody can give it to me or take it away can be used as a safety mechanism. Yes. And it can also be used as a deep insight and realization. Yeah. And I I speak of it, I bring it up because my tendency is very self-reliant. My tendency is I'll take care of myself. I'll heal myself. I'm an internal processor. I'll, I'll navigate my own inner world and then show up. And I notice that there is a, a safety in that, mm-hmm. a level of, um, it's, it's not as intimate yeah. as, I, as it can be when I bring some of my unresolved parts into the relationship, yeah. um, which include a certain level of vulnerability and uh, interdependence yeah. that I think is incredibly valuable, but oftentimes, at least in the environment that I was raised, um, it didn't feel safe. Yeah. And I think that's an important piece that we unpack here in, in a moment too. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for leading with your vulnerability. Cause I think that is going to be an important piece of, of what we share here mm. and where we're currently working. And I know in the beginning of us, there was also this onboarding of what's important to you. What are the non-negotiables? How do we fit together? Because I think that happens in any relationship, especially in the beginning and, um, and there was a moment that I really want to give you credit for, which was you were a hell yes to this before I was. And you used this analogy of jumping into the pool. Can you share about that? Yeah. Uh, I kept gauging how much in love I should be mm-hmm. because I felt like I was really into it and I, I almost felt, I think you even at time may have shared the analogy of you felt like you still had one hand in the, in the doorknob. Yeah. Like you were in, but you've still had, you were still holding onto the door. And, and I remember how triggering, not triggering, but how uh, threatening that was to my sense of self. I was, I was used to being presenting an image that appeared so appealing Mm -hmm that then the other person, my partner or potential partner would want to be with me so much that I would not risk feeling abandoned. Yeah. And so this was the perfect medicine for me to, to confront that fear. And the analogy that I shared was, it almost feels like I'm in the pool, I'm swimming in this pool of love and you're sitting on the sidelines with your feet dangling inside <laughs> And I'm like, come on, jump in. Yeah. And then when I don't see you jump in, I like, okay, I'll sit next to you and dangle my feet. But then that wasn't as fun. Yeah. So then at one point I just said, you know, I, I just love to swim. Mm-hmm. I love to just be in this experience of love. And I jumped back in the pool knowing that you maybe would, maybe wouldn't. And I would be there until it didn't feel natural anymore. Yeah. And it was in you being willing to confront that fear of abandonment or not being wanted fully as much as you've experienced in the past and fully enjoying being in the pool that I was like, that looks so fun. And I jumped right in with you. So it was through you confronting that and moving through it and being true to yourself that made it exciting for me to join you and didn't have pressure on me to join you, which was the perfect medicine for me based on my childhood, which we'll unpack in a moment. And so through over the over the time, you starting to really prioritize spirituality, which was important to me and like really 
deepen in that in a way that felt in alignment with where what was true for me as well. And you cleaning up some of your stuff from the past. And then one moment after four years of, I would say three years of dating, there was one moment that I knew I wanted to marry you. I was a hundred percent all in. And so it was almost like I was in the relationship with my shoulders turned a little bit. I wasn't a hundred percent facing you all in and I couldn't help that. It was just what my truth was. And I think me being honest about it and transparent more so activated what was there for you. But I think it was in service the way you used it and the way we used it to help each other evolve, heal and grow, which I think is important for people to understand. Like you meet somebody, it's not like, okay, everything's perfect. There's, there's a process of healing and evolving together, which is, which is normal. And I, and I think in that process, the normal mechanisms that I used to operate out of is when something felt scary, I would withdraw. Yeah. And what was different is that I leaned in, mm-hmm. not because I wasn't afraid anymore, but in the middle of that fear, in the middle of that insecurity. And at the time it felt like leaning into a sword. Yeah. Which was so counter. It's was like, this hurts. And keeping my heart open and leaning in really trained me to be able to do that across many other areas of my life where I felt my coping mechanisms were just closing me down. Yeah. And what I think, I mean, I just really acknowledge your courage. You're the person more more than anyone I've ever met that just jumps and grows wings on the way down. Mm -hmm. You have a fearlessness that you lean towards and I think it serves you. And I don't think people realize that the very coping strategies to avoid feeling something is actually creating the experience that they're wanting to avoid. And so whether you've known that or not, you just lean towards it and your life gets bigger and freer as a result. So your courage is something that I respect and admire and love and honor about you. And one way that that showed up and the moment that I knew I wanted to marry you fully through and through. And I'm really grateful that I didn't try to rush it. I just kept letting the relationship unfold with what it wanted to be. It showed us rather than having these preconceived ideas of trying to fit it into a box of my husband potential and all these made up stories. But there was a retreat that we volunteered at. So we met at a master's program in spiritual psychology. And then later, years later, we volunteered to support as assistants for this week-long immersion with hundreds of people that were there to just get free. And after a few days, like things get exponentially enhanced, I would say. Um, and so even as the volunteer and without even doing our work, there was a moment where I got to tap into a level of grief in my heart that I wasn't able to access on my own. And th- we had five minutes before volunteers circled back up. And I was like, I just, I was like, babe, I, there's grief here that I can access to let go. And you were like, let's go to the room. And you, and it was around my ex-boyfriend and you were so ready to hold space for me. I was like, we only have five minutes. I can't do that in five minutes. And you just pulled my hand and we ran to that, that room where I turned on a song from my ex who was a musician to help accelerate because we only had five minutes. And I went down to my knees and just grieved for about two minutes. And you held with such presence and love for me to get free with the grief of my ex not being in my life. And it takes a quality of a man to hold and in presence without making it mean something. 
And it was a gift to me because it was literally the grief that was between me more fully loving you. And by presencing it and going there and it released, I went from my shoulders turned away from you sideways to just a hundred percent all into you in that moment. I was, I was like, what's happening on my ring? Something's missing on my finger. Like I literally was obsessed. I was like, I am hundred percent into you wanting this, but it was, I needed to presence that grief. And you held for me so beautifully to do that. Not only to be ambitious as you are at like five minutes, we got this and we still made it on time, but your ability to hold space. What how did you hold space for me to do that? I've never asked you that. Hmm. It feels like um, like the perfect symbiotic relational way of being, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Almost like there's a there's a purposefulness that comes online when I know that my masculine container will allow your feminine sort of maneuvering to really unravel. Yeah. And whenever, it's almost like my, the container walls get stronger as you surrender more. Mm. Oh, that's juicy. And as you touch into those more vulnerable parts and more real parts, it it, it feeds this spaciousness. Mm. Where at times, even we practice it often now, I invite you to give me anything that you're holding. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't feel like it could ever fill this container. Yeah. And I would, was like, oh, I don't want to give it to you, but I'll give it to the truth of you because that can hold. So just to name if somebody is like giving it to your partner, my over-responsibility was like, I don't want to give you anything that I'm trying to release, yeah. but giving it to the truth of you is what transforms. Yeah. And if, if I'm in a place where I have any agenda or any ideas of how you should be or thinking that there's something wrong with a moment or that I, you need fixing or that you need, or that this is something that without me, you, then it gets sticky. Yeah. It's not personal. Mm-hmm. And I think when you say to the truth of me is when I'm embodying that container, it's not, it's not a personal thing. Yeah. I am, I am, Reciting in a capacity of infinite acceptance and love that just is boundless in its availability yeah. to receive. and Yeah, and I think that's the doorway is this acceptance, even if it's acceptance of the resistance or the non-acceptance. Like that aligns the personality with, with the truth of our being. And that is what transforms everything. And you embody that so beautifully. And that's been a journey and we'll share about it. Mm. And one thing, you know, I was sharing that I was looking for examples of couples. Like at first I was even contemplating, do I get married? You know, and I was looking for examples that were genuinely happy that had been together for a while for my second year project at USM and interviewed couples and also other beautiful humans to share this narrative. I did this, uh, I'll put, I'll link it in the show notes cause it's sweet where I did a mini documentary on you are the one you've been waiting for. And this was my journey of dating myself for the, for, for nine months. Cause I'd always been in relationship back to back. And I met Gay and Katie Hendricks, went to their house in Ojai and I filmed them and I could feel the genuine love that they had together. And they said, it just keeps getting better. Mm. And that gave me 
something to hold on to that maybe the honeymoon phase doesn't have to end. Mm. Maybe this is just shows us what's possible when we continue the healing work to stay in an, in an elevated space of true love. And so holding on to that was a beautiful, it let me ex- continue discovering what love is in and through and as you. Mm. And it's been a, and I want to just offer that because it was a gift that they gave to me that it's like, well, what if it doesn't have to end? You know, what if that, what if it just keeps getting better? So I'm grateful for them. Imagine having a fulfilling career doing what you love, working from anywhere in the world, setting your own hours while making good money and a big impact. If that lights you up, then I'm super excited to share with you today's sponsor, the Institute for Coaching Mastery. This is my robust, accredited, year-long certification program for newer seasoned coaches, therapists, leaders, and those just looking to up-level their life in a profound way. We have an amazing community of students from all around the world who have really started their journey to expand with us both personally and professionally. And this experience is designed to give you the three things that you need to thrive. So first, you have all of the tools and support you need to move past what's been holding you back so that you can completely change the trajectory of your life. And then you learn how to masterfully and confidently facilitate transformation with your clients or your team, regardless of your niche. If you want to do health, business, relationship, or you just have no idea yet, we hold your hand through that. And then lastly, you'll receive my six figure and beyond signature roadmap that's customizable to meet you wherever you are. So whether you want to do high ticket sales, online marketing, or you just want to hit six figures without ever needing to go on social media, we've got you covered. And this truly is the most rewarding work in the world. We have new students now who have a waitlist of dream clients in under a year. We also have seasoned students who are doing $80,000 months. And this is really about creating lasting transformation from the inside out so that you can share your gifts and serve the world in all the ways that you're called to. And I've seen firsthand the power of what happens when you have the community to collaborate with, but you also have the right tools and resources to really thrive. And so whether you want to do your own personal development, you're wanting to become a coach, or you're just looking for a cutting edge approach to really grow your business, the Institute for Coaching Mastery is for you. You are held every single step of the way. And so if you want to get behind the scenes access to the Institute with three proven transformational tools for free to help you create the business and life you love, all you have to do is go to alissanobriga.com forward slash tools, or you can find us at alissanobriga.com forward slash apply now to see all the details and apply today. Our marriage has, has journeyed over the 14 years. And I think I've heard people talk about psychologically every seven years, there's a shift, right? And also, I don't know the research behind it, but physiologically, our cells change, our bodies change in seven-year cycles. So I want to kind of share about our first seven years. And then our last seven years, I have a a glimpse of where I think we're going next, but I would love to hear from you starting off about what, how you saw our first seven years. Mm. A lot of shared play. Mm -hmm a lot of um, vibrancy and high energy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, almost childlike in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, vibrant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
And I talk about just in terms of my personality to give people context, Phoebe and Monica from Friends. So I would say the first seven years were more the Phoebe, the like smelly cat singing on guitars. I was so interested in awakening. I didn't care anything about business. There was a part of me that genuinely felt like I hadn't tapped into my full potential. And that was, that was hard. That was a bit hard on my heart, especially being a three in the Enneagram, very ambitious, but I took that ambition towards awakening. And that was what was most important to me. Yeah. It's interesting because those seven years, we shared this deep commitment we did. towards truth. truth. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the um, grounds that we both partook of yeah. very actively. Yes. And where our lives really uh, were very intertwined. Very in sync. So those first seven years, there was a lot of play, a lot of spontaneity, a lot of freedom. I mean, I was still in grad school. I hadn't really stepped into my professional life. And yet, you know, there was, we actively used our relationship to help each other grow and evolve. And I know for you, some of the stuff that you were working with was jealousy. Mm. Yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah. I, I think I grew up with, with parents that decided to live separate romantic lives, but not tell us as children. And that's their way of managing the household. And we were too young to notice. Meaning they, they split up, they split up but, but they still they, lived together and didn't share with you guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I grew up seeing my reference point of a partnership as a little bit strange mm-hmm. where they weren't necessarily romantic with each other, where I could intuit and got a sense that my dad was seeing some other people. My mom was seeing some other people, but it was very confusing. Yeah. And I, I think that some of that internalized and created a lack of trust. Mm. Lack of trust that I was projecting out there. But ultimately it was a lack of trust in myself. Yeah. And so I was jealous, but I always figured out ways to stop being jealous, right? I would make myself appear better. Like I would compare myself with everyone. And if somebody was threatening, like if there was a, a male that, that I felt like you would be attracted, anyone of my romantic partners, but that you, in this case, you would be attracted to, I would feel insecure and start comparing and mm-hmm. making a case of why I was better in some realm than that other individual or yeah. more attractive and make sure someone's like, I wanted to cover your eyes. And, <laughs> and what really shifted it at, at this point I imagine we were both, but I was certainly in the in the peak of this commitment towards freedom and truth. Mm-hmm. And I think because of that, I had developed the capacity to face some of the things that I had been used to running away from for, for a while. Mm-hmm. And the experience of jealousy was one that I was very used to avoiding. Mm-hmm. And I had somehow... I don't know if it was conscious or just out of total exhaustion, a moment where I was able to truly face jealousy as it arose in my body. And I dropped into my body and felt it not as a strategy so that then jealousy would go away, but almost like such an open welcoming of that experience in the same way that I would have opened to welcome any other experience that I deemed as blissful or exciting. Mm And that was transformational Mm -hmm. because I deeply felt that what, what felt like really death in the pit of my stomach. 
And as I allowed the energy to exist, I realized that what was most challenging and uncomfortable was my resistance to that energy and not the energy in itself. And I think that's huge for people to hear. Yeah. It, the, it, so it was all this running away that was creating the, the havoc. Mm-hmm. But the turning towards and the facing and the end, allowing it to be here. And it's not that then it was like, okay, fine, great. I did this. So then it'll never show up, show up again. It was more like, wow, now I know I can face it with this level of presence, presence and acceptance and spaciousness. And it's welcome to come back anytime. Yeah. I I have a real open door policy to it now. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't remember the last time I felt jealous and I really don't, but I'm sure there's been some moments, but. But I think you're, what you're speaking to is everything, your willingness to f- feel it as a sensation, not a feeling or a story. You're just feeling it as sensation in the body and having a level of resource, having a level of presence with it. So you're not fully identified with it. You're not judging it is what helped it transform. Not so that it would transform, but just to say, I welcome you in my human experience. Yeah. And what it did is I got so excited from doing that. And like a scientist, I was like, whoa, what else have I not felt? Yeah. And then it was like hunger, mm-hmm. something so basic mm-hmm. or tiredness. It's like, what's it like to feel hunger without the idea that I need to eat mm-hmm. or tiredness without the idea? And cause I would feel tired, like, well, I didn't sleep so good. I need to do something, have a coffee or you know, take a nap or... What, what does tiredness feel like in my body right now? Yeah. Like receiving the gift of the now as ever, however it shows up in the body directly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a doorway to everything we deeply desire. Yeah. And it is wrapped in skull paper. So we would never think to go there, but it genuinely is a gift. And for people listening, I do think it's important to know you have to have some level of psychological resource or spiritual resource to go to some of those depths and because some people just genuinely are in a hard place and they may loop and wallow going to the depths. I call it the paradox of transformation in my certification program. And so just understanding there there are supports for us to go there, but we have to bring a level of presence or love in there with us. Otherwise we can get sucked in. And yet if you do it in the ways that you're speaking of with an open palm, with an open heart, it can transform and open us to the freedom that we deeply desire underneath it. And I, you know, even in, in the beginning of our relationship, I, part of my initiation was into being a stepmom, you know, going from zero to three kids, you know, six months, one and a half, three and a half. And they're everything I didn't know I wanted, do you know? And like this whole situation, cause I know people are curious about, did you want to be a mom? I, I knew that at one point I, I would I would assumed I would want to be a mom. And then meeting you, having three little ones, I wanted to grow with a family. It just worked out so beautifully, you know, in the ways that I get to grow and evolve with the family. And I don't pretend to be their mom. I'm more like a bonus mom, a fun aunt, a loving presence. And because both you and your ex are very involved. And and so it just for, you know, everybody has a different orientation around it. And there were times where I was just sitting on the couch eating ice cream, like waiting for kids to take a nap because I needed a break. You know, it was a lot. I was the youngest. I didn't, I was 26, you know, when we got together. Is that right? 26-ish? 20, yeah. And so it was, it was, it was an initiation and it's got, you know, now teenagers is actually my favorite age stage, which I want to plug because everyone has a narrative around teenagers, but 
really like we've continued to use the relationship to help us evolve and grow as things come up. And, and I think the first seven years you supported me in stepping more into my professionalism, really into the world more. And I think part of the gift that I brought you is connecting to a deeper lineage of spirituality that is very much in alignment. I mean, we've done what, like 18 silent retreats together or something at this point more, you know, so we, we've done, we shared that truth and that vision. And then in 2017, I moved my business online and it required a lot more of me. And we started getting out of sync in terms of what we were doing on the day to day and valued. And I, I don't know if some of it for me, it was because our relationship was at such a level that I hadn't heard of, experienced, or seen anyone what we were experiencing. And my career was so much lower because it was non-existent. And so I wanted to pour more into my career. Also, it felt like using my my body of work, my life's work as a, I wanted to sink my teeth into life as a spiritual practice of knowing myself as all of it through business and using business for awakening. And so I very much went and we switched roles. I very much went towards the, you know, professional path and, and you, and I don't know, it was because we developed, we wanted to continue developing parts of ourselves that were less developed because before meeting you was really very deeply on a spiritual path. And you went even deeper into the spiritual experience. How do you kind of coin the last seven years or almost seven years? Um, yeah, I think it's you being very actively engaged in the world. I, I want to say it's probably eight years ago or now nine where my spiritual path really shifted. Mm-hmm. And I would say I stopped being spiritual mm-hmm. about nine years ago in that the seeking stopped. Mm-hmm. And I think because that was one of the things that we shared, we we stopped having that as a common ground. Uh, yeah. The, well, and for me, my spiritual path really started going towards sinking my teeth into all of life. It wasn't, it didn't feel like this non-abiding presence. You know, we can have a different conversation around spirituality. I don't want to go too far off the rabbit hole. You know, but but it shifted for us. And I think it's important that we honor what's important to us regardless and that we keep speaking truth around what's most alive. Yeah, yeah. So these last seven years, I think I, I personally went through the transition of being very quiet and still mm-hmm. and to some level um, seeing through the illusion of all of the stories. Mm-hmm to then getting really very re-engaged in life and with the children. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think this, these last seven years have been ones where I've been prioritizing three things, contribution, connection, and adventure. And, and it's been at times difficult to have you so engaged in your world yeah. of, of production. Uh, I've, I, I admire it deeply, but I've also craved playtime yeah. with you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that because I think it's important to understand what both of our wounds are and for any relationship to understand what the core wounds are so that we can hold them with care and not take it personal when we activate the other person's wounding. And for people that don't know what their core wounds are, whether they're in relationship or they're single, 
I'll put in the show notes a love quiz that takes 15 minutes to do, and it can save years of unnecessarily suffering in relationships. So that's gifted, that's free. But understanding that has helped me understand you and not take some of that on, even if that's part of my conditioning. Can you share a little bit as we were out of sync in in some ways, it's like we've always been connected and, but we had different priorities, different age stages, different things that were important. And it's interesting now that it's starting to shift again, now that I'm hiring a CEO potentially and traveling and playing, um, and you're potentially taking on a a big project, uh, and being more in the world. So, but how, let's talk about how we've navigated some of the challenges. Will you share a little bit more microscopically what's come up for you and I can do the same. Yeah. So, you know, you introduced me to this premise of imago, which reflects that you will attract a partner that will likely help you resolve some unresolved wounding uh, from your caregiving days or days from your caregivers. And I think I can track back my different romantic relationships or any relationship that's been intimate in any capacity and see what wounds they've reflected back to me from my childhood. And the one that we're speaking of now that you've reflected back to me is this idea of growing up with a father that was very busy. That was um, where I was looking for his attention and waiting for him to be available to play. Mm -hmm. And so when you are busy and I'm waiting to play, the younger part of me makes it mean something about me. Yeah. Makes it mean like you're not interested in me. I'm not, uh, there's something wrong with me because I, I ultimately, if there wasn't something wrong with me, you just want to play with me. Mm-hmm. So it's been, it's been interesting because the response to that or the reaction to that from an unconscious place is self-reliance. It's like, fine, I'll play on my own. Your strategy for safety is yeah. to be like, I got it. I don't need I'll, you. I don't need you. I'm good. I'll play on my own, yeah. which I'm really good at. Yeah. I have a lot of fun playing <laughs> on my own. But if it comes with a closed heart, yeah, it's, it's something that I need to pay attention to. And, and in that strategy, my needs get overseen. Mm -hmm. So part of my practice has been to speak those needs and say, you know, this is really important to me. Yeah. And that's risky because it comes with that younger parts vulnerability of being rejected. Yeah. Which I can see images of saying to my dad, do you want to play football? And him saying, no, I'm busy or just putting his hand up because he was in a, in a phone call. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, he, he played football with me and he was a beautiful dad in his own way. But, but that part of me that is sometimes as a young child, it only takes a few times or one time yeah. to sort of integrate something and create some conclusions. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And our, our younger brains make meaning mm-hmm. that aren't necessarily true. And yet it still feels very real in our mm-hmm. experience. And so this is transparently something that we've, worked through and are still tending to, you know, and it feels like it's less and less as I've been getting out of pouring so much of my life's work into growing my business and dedicating to that over the last two years or so and more and more. But, you know, what comes up for me when based on my conditioning and how these puzzle pieces fit together. So amago means image in Latin. And so you literally attract somebody that's going to help you heal these things. And it's a perfect puzzle piece. And so when, you know, at first I think it was really safe for you, for me 
to have you be so self-reliant and not have so many needs because I was raised in a household where I interpreted that I, my, one of my caregivers needed me and I was the glue of the family and their emotional well-being was my responsibility. So I thought I had a lot of needs. So I had a little bit of a resistance towards needs. And, or if you were to ask of something, then I felt like I had to do, I was doing something wrong or I needed to do something more. And that was my conditioning based on my past. And so for us to see that, then we don't unconsciously play that out. It still may trigger parts of us, our younger parts, but part of our work has been to give context and to share honestly when that part gets activated. Because we may know in our mind, but if there's a younger part or a more primal body-centered part that's just like, that hurt my feelings. Because and when we have the vulnerability to lean in and share that, it immediately draws me in closer to you to say, I don't feel important to you. If you were to drop and say that, I would just grab you. I would just come and like be present I don't feel with you. Important to me. <laughs> <laughs> if this mic could move with me. <laughs> and and so like I hear that because when you speak from your vulnerability, it opens my heart. But if we weren't conscious of this and we didn't have the tools, and sometimes we don't, and we come back, but it would sound like blame, judgment, and or you're doing something wrong or you should be different. And I think this is where a lot of couples get confused and in and struggles that they don't need to when they have the understanding of what's getting triggered and how do you use the relationship to help each other heal. And so, yes, I'm a fan of doing the work independently, understanding how we're wired. And if we have a partner that is willing, uh, available to navigate that, and that could be a romantic partner that if you don't have one, cause you don't have to wait for a partner, it could be a therapist, a coach that's trained, um, a good friend, you know, that knows how to do this work. So it can also have that healing corrective experience in relationship, which is also important. So having the awareness and the tools and willing to speak the vulnerable truth underneath the defense, the blame, the criticism is what creates more of the connection and the healing and repair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And oftentimes when I don't give space to the vulnerable part that can speak from the hurt, it comes across as complaining, right? Or cold or cut off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's looking to get what it wants through um, through seeing what's not working. Yeah. As opposed to just touching into the, this hurts. When I don't, when I feel this, it doesn't feel good. Yeah. And I make it mean this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I think to be able to speak from that place because back to the imago thing, to the image thing. It if I know that you don't like being needed, yeah, right, then that makes it even harder for my younger self to ask Have for needs. for the needs. Right, yeah. it's like oh, it's gonna the stakes for rejection are even higher. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but as I start to heal the parts of me that felt like one of my parents' emotional needs were my responsibility, I can hear your needs. And it's interesting. It's just, but it is easier for me to hear your needs when you share and you communicate from a place of taking responsibility for that part, right? Instead of the blame and the judgment and the defense. And so, one thing that we've learned that's been really helpful is this feedback wheel. I tend to own my experience and I think that makes it easy for people to hear. Meaning, instead of blaming, I can say the story I made up about this or what I'm experiencing instead of saying, you made me feel this. And just that in of itself can help keep defenses down and 
when we speak the hurt, when I, when I heard you say this, or you, when you did this, I made it mean, for example, step two, and it reminds me of step three. It reminds me of when I was a kid and my, and I had to do this for my parents and I didn't feel loved or seen. What I would love from you is step four. Step four is like, here's what is my request. You don't have to do it, but I would, this is one way I would love to be loved. And I also think that that's important to share because we're going to get into more some practical things that, that we found helpful in these 14 years that other people can try on. And again, this can be in friendship. It can be in romantic partnership if you have that as well. But to share with your person how to set them up to win, like this is what it, you know, sometimes I'll just feed you a line to say, could you say this to me? Because the part of me needs to hear it. I know exactly what I need to hear and I can let it in if you say it. So I'll, I'll tee you up or you'll tee me up and then we get to win with each other. I think that's yeah. beautiful. Something just came up that I think would be of value to yeah. share. There's a line out there that is, don't be in relationship with your uh, partner's potential. I think that was my line. Was it? Yeah. It's out there. <laughs> uh, it's true. Yeah. And yet there are elements that you can hold yes. for your partner's growth and stepping into to fill those shoes. 100%. And I can imagine someone out there that is trying to determine mm -hmm. whether to be in relationship or to stay in relationship how that's a very difficult thing to understand. Like what are, what are those non-negotiables mm -hmm. that are core to my preferences in relationship? And is this individual meeting them or not? Yeah. And if I am holding them to the possibility that they can step into those, am I in relationship with their potential with mm -hmm. a future version that doesn't really exist? Mm -hmm. And am I self diluting mm -hmm. thinking that, they're going to be someone else because then that sets me up for continuous disappointment. Right. Mm -hmm. And it sets the other person up for continuous, uh, not feeling loved as you feeling, are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Accepted. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something very tricky that we went through. Yep. And I think it's important to highlight. So let's do that. Yeah. Because for example, one non-negotiable for you was integrity. Yes. And the level of cleanliness mm -hmm. around my energetic uh, boundaries, let's yeah. say. And because I came from a background where cheating was to some degree normalized, mm -hmm. how I showed up in our relationship was just a little bit open energetically and still looking for a woman's attention, but it was so different. So advanced from so where advanced. you came from. I thought I was doing great. I was mm -hmm. like, oh my God, you're so lucky. <laughs> I'm so clean. <laughs> Because it, it, it felt like a huge step and it felt just normal. Mm -hmm. And uh, and for and just to kind of qualify, like that was, we weren't, if people want to be in relationship where they're energetically open and flirtatious or just subtly, I mean, we're talking, we're talking about a subtle refinement of energy. And so I think it's important to name that. But some people have open relationships. As long as there's consent, it's beautiful. Right. Yeah. And so whatever people choose for the relationship is great for me and for what we were committing to is really pristine cleanliness of choosing each other at the point where we were in our relationship. And so when I felt a little openness, I mean, I could feel it. And I also have been the object of other men's openness and I don't, I hadn't liked that. And so I wanted to have a, we chose to have a different 
dynamic that we were consenting. And so when there was a part of you that was out of integrity with honoring that, and it was subtle, you know, I would speak to something and then you would, uh, and I think this is where you're going to continue going around the, how do you be with somebody and hold, like accept them as they are and hold the potential of what they could step into. Yeah. You want to continue there? I do. Uh, and I think it's a tricky balance, yeah. right? Because it, it, I think there are certain things that are, like if I was actively breaking our agreements, mm -hmm. that would have been a, a non-negotiable non for yeah. you. Uh, but because it was subtle, it can also be very confusing. Mm -hmm. And how long are you with someone that continues to show up in a certain way? Yeah. And I think there's no right answer for that other than trusting and knowing where your partner's intentions are. Mm -hmm. And I think their level of awareness around those behaviors and willingness to really shift them. The willingness. Um, mm -hmm. And I can speak on behalf of, or not on behalf of, but for all the men that are out there that may be listening, just what it did for me to truly, like, and this was a, a choice that we had in relationship, which was just a choice at that time. That level of integrity was so new to me that I didn't realize how much energy not having it sort of firm was consuming mm -hmm. in my system. Mm -hmm. So I had things that were clear no's for me. And I referenced, for example, stealing, right? I, I just didn't have to decide whether I was going to steal or not. Mm -hmm. It was, it was, there was no energetic expense yeah. at making that decision. And yet being flirty with a girl had energetic investment because I, I needed to monitor or where that line seen, was. Being seen. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Just being open for someone to, yeah, flirty, I'm not talking it, yeah. overtly flirty. Yeah. I'm just saying just energetically open and, and wanting to be, have, have them be attracted to me to some mm -hmm. degree, which was my norm growing up. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize how much of my, uh, yeah, how much energy was being wasted in trying to determine where that was right and where the boundary was and where it wasn't. And when I closed it, when I just made a conscious choice, okay, this is going to be like stealing. Mm -hmm. I'm just not going to engage in that way. Mm -hmm. It's like all these other faculties came back online. Mm -hmm. It was, it was powerful. Mm -hmm. And just the other day I had a new friend just say that she was looking at you deeply in your eyes and it was so clean that you are a safe man, that you didn't want anything mm -hmm. from her. You didn't need her attention. It was just a gift. So I want to honor the work that you've done in cleaning that up for you, for your lineage and my experience is that was an important thing for me based on my childhood and, and my past. And so loving you and accepting you and that gray area of it was so subtle, but it was also like a gnawing thing for in the beginning of our relationship, I would keep presencing. It just felt like we just had to keep talking and unpacking it. And that I think that's just discernment. And for yeah. every relationship, we have to feel into what what is our truth? What is, is this something I want to keep pouring into? And it was a yes for me with you. It was, um, but it, the, yeah, it's just a conversation of discernment. How do I love my person as they are and still hold what's important for me? And can, and if they're willing to grow and to be honest and to do the work, even if there's small progress for me, I was a yes to it because it was so subtle. Yeah. And I want to also just make a little disclaimer that it's important to notice a distinction, at least in that particular topic of being energetically clean mm -hmm. and still being able to feel attracted. I feel, I, I see women and I think they're beautiful. Mm -hmm. 
And before, <laughs> I used to think that in order to be clean, I needed to cut that part off. Oh, okay. But that was just more managing. Yeah. Now I get to experience beauty in wherever it shows up without the secondary need to do something about it. Or to receive something from them looking at you a certain way. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it feels a lot more flowy. And, and for the argument that men say, well, we're just, that's just how we are and we're animals and that's our primal instinct to want and to be like this. Yes. And there's a way of being in that that is just the natural experience of the body. Mm-hmm. And there's a way of being it that is almost like energetically sending out hooks yes. to satisfy some insecurity that's or right. some sort of need that we sort of didn't get growing up or that we just learned. That's right. And I think doing that work, I think we're both committed to that and it helps then as we change inside, we don't cling. We don't need that so Mm -hmm. much that we can create the outer change more easily. Mm -hmm. And so for, I would love to share more of our, you know, tips and things that we've discovered in the 14 years that has really helped us. I know what your answer is going to be, but I want to hear, hear it from you. So what would you say the number one hack to having a vibrant, healthy, powerful, fulfilling relationship is? Leopard speedos. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't wear mine. Um, taking full responsibility. And what? how does that look to you? What, what, what would be an example of that? Taking full responsibility over how I show up. Mm-hmm. Taking full responsibility over my upsets. Mm-hmm. And my triggers. So mm-hmm. I, I can have discernment over what works for me and what doesn't work for me and how you show up. But if I'm being triggered by it, I can take ownership over my wounding, yeah. resolve it and still be able to say, hey, this doesn't work for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the difference is the trigger. So when there's a trigger, it's pointing back to something inside of us. We can still have our no, we can still have boundaries. We can still share what works or doesn't. But if there's a trigger there, it's pointing to something deeper that's looking for healing. Mm -hmm. And again, we can heal it with inside of ourselves and in the relationship if that's available. Yes. And, but personal responsibility, I promise is not sexy, but it is everything. It's so sexy. It's the foundation. Nobody talks about it as like a sexy relational hack. It is the foundation for everything. Safety and personal responsibility are two foundational ones. And it gives me permission to be more human. I can mess up and say, you know what? I didn't like how I just showed up there. Yeah. And I think that that there's something also important as part of that. It's like at any given moment, are we choosing to be right or are we choosing to be loving, right? Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a USM quote. And I think it's it's so valuable at any given moment to say, oh, I don't need to convince you right now that my perspective is the right one. Yeah, that won't work yeah. <laughs> in, yeah. the, in the heat of a moment. Yeah. And I think one thing that I'll share in the heat of a moment with a kid or with your partner, because we revert to being inner childs at, at, in arguments, is to really mirror what they're feeling emotionally. Even if you don't agree with them, it's like, I really hear that you are hurting right now, or this is frustrating. It just drops the defense. They feel seen and heard and then go to the practical, but just to try to be in againstness and I'm right, you know, in in arguments, I think sometimes it's like, who's the first one that can convince the other that they're right. Mm. And that's the unconscious assumption, but nobody really wins in that. Yeah. And if you flip that, I think it's who's, who's the first one to drop it. Mm -hmm. You know, who's the first one to be able to say, you know what, 
I don't need to, I don't need to continue proving my, your case, my case right now. Yeah. I can meet you where you're at and I can, you do be, that so well. And I can be present for what's triggering you. And that, that can be hard when yes. we're in the heat of the moment. Yes. One thing that I think we do well is that we, we, we seldom interact when there's something going on between, in, in, in both of our systems. Right? It's a lot easier when only one person is activated mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to hold for, for them. Yeah. Right? When we're both activated, I think you're really good at saying, you know what, this isn't, this isn't going anywhere right yeah. now. Yeah. And one, one thing to note about that, and thank you for sharing that, is for any, any argument, if there's not one person that is, can hold a greater level of love or presence or a level of acceptance, don't continue the conversation in that moment. Come back to it. Tell your partner, I need a 10 minute walk, I'll come back. Or I need the day, I'll come back. Because if you don't say you'll come back, it could trigger a sense of abandonment. Yeah, and there's people that, that deal with conflict by withdrawing. And there's yes. people that can't feel settled until they resolve something. Right? Yeah, well, so they I- haven't learned the tools to learn how to navigate that. And in Imago psychotherapy, which I got trained in, there's the, and I kind of flipped it a little bit with the terms, but there's the turtle and the tiger where the tiger gets louder and the turtle withdraws and gets, and so part of the work is to meet in the middle, the turtle just staying open enough, creating the safety as the foundation and the tiger just not having so many um, outbursts, but just to get a little bit more quiet to give space for the turtle safety. Yeah, but when we're when both partners are triggered, mm-hmm. and the one that is used to uh, withdrawing says, "I can't do this right now." Yeah, that can be very triggering for the other one. Yeah, right? that can be very difficult to hear. So I, th- I really want to double click on what you were sharing, like creating, setting up a context, saying, "You know what? It's hard right now to connect in this way. I'm going to take ten minutes." Yeah, or I'm going to let, let's make sure that we find some time to do this tonight because what this is important. Yeah. Because then that settles the part of the other that is that right. can't find a resolution in that moment. That's right. A hundred percent. And I think making sure that you can hold one person has some level of presence. Otherwise it won't be a productive conversation. It's just ego defense mechanisms and further hurting each other. So I know a lot of people say, you know, have peace before you go to bed. If you're not in a place to have a productive conversation. Don't I, go to bed. I would say <laughs> do your best to take care of the part of you that is triggered and create safety for that part. If you can't actually accelerate finding common ground. And I, I, I would rather go to bed quiet than make f- hurtful comments that is not going to be productive personally. And I know that's counter or that's not, you know, what other people say, but that's just my experience. And so, yes, if you can find harmony and, and meet each other, great. But if it's, getting worse, or if one of you isn't resourced, has a level of presence or open heart, it's going to be more challenging. And I don't necessarily recommend it. Mm -hmm. So one thing that we do, which is really fun that people can play with is consciously complaining. You want to share with people what this is? You go for it. Okay. So if, you know, part of our work is to, and what we found helpful, I think in our, in our, you know, journey of spiritual psychology and becoming a therapist and just practicing life tools with each other is acknowledging all parts of ourselves. And so if there's this part of us that's a victim or wants to complain, it's welcome at the table. It's not necessarily going to be the one leading the conversations of our lives, but it, it, it can be there. And so what we'll do is we'll say, can you hold? And this is a cue to say, I've got a part inside that wants the mic and wants to fully express and ham it up. And so if you are a resource, for example, if I'm saying, can you hold? And you say, yes, that means that I have 
full permission to let this part of me ham up my complaint or whatever it may be for me. And then as soon as we just let it rip and exaggerate it, it, no, you do it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, it's like, I am the worst person in the whole world. Like nobody's ever going to, or, or if I'm judging you even, it's like, you are the worst husband. I don't know. We've never, I've never said that, but it hams it up. So it's not so personal. And then it dissolves and we start laughing. And that part got the mic. It was allowed to express you're holding a greater level of presence so that it's not personal to you. And it's just a part that wants to just be heard and seen. And oftentimes we can find the intention within each part. Like it just wanted to be loved or it was just a protective mechanism. And we've done enough work to see that. So that's also helpful because then you don't take it personal. So this conscious complaining or this conscious container is just to let us bring these parts up without it needing to be anything personal. It moves on pretty quickly. And I, I like the conscious container because it's really unconscious complaining. Yeah. <laughs> it, the, the, the container is conscious. It requests, that unconscious part requests permission That's right. to be unconscious. Right? So it, there is a consciousness that is sort of a meta uh, authority that's saying, okay, is this, is this okay? Yeah. And yes. then with, when, when it is okay, then it's like, let it rip. <sighs> yeah. And these parts just want to be seen and allowed and expressed, and then they move on. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that people can adopt and try out. If you've got a partner, a friend, a kid, it can be done with kids, you know? You know, freeform writing is a way of doing it without a partner. That's right. Yeah. I where you people just, know about freeform writing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like 10 minutes of unconscious writing. You know, you can share about that practice. Yeah. So you write unconscious, whatever, whatever that complainee, for example, would have to say. And if it was me, it's like, my needs don't matter. I'm, I'm all here alone. And then I have this image of, do you want to build a snowman together? <laughs> but you never want to build a snowman, blah, blah, blah. And then I would burn that piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And knowing that I'm going to burn that piece of paper without rereading it gives me full permission to be as unconscious as I need to be. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so those are some helpful things. Another one is, I would say the number one thing, you would say personal responsibility, which I also agree, that has been foundational for having the level of relationship that we've maintained and accelerated. What I would also say is the fact that we've prioritized going to coaches and therapists the entire time. I So many people look at therapy specifically, coaching not as much, but therapy is something's wrong. And we've really prioritized not putting anything under the rug, but to have a ritual, a sacred time to just drop in deeper in love with each other, to clear anything that's gotten in the way of with kids and busy life and all the things so that we keep deepening and taking responsibility and loving each other and enhancing this experience of our relationship. To me, it's one of the best things that we can do is proactively do the work. And so sometimes it'll be once a month, sometimes it'll be twice a month, sometimes we'll skip a month, but We've consistently seen coaches and therapists to just, it's like, what else would I want to be doing with my time than to enhance the quality of my life through learning tools and dropping deeper into love with you. So I would say that that's been a game changer for us, that for people that are interested and you can do it again on your own or with your partner if they're available. Any, is there anything else that you have found helpful for us in our, in our marriage or is there a time that you can share about that we've navigated a conflict and how we've done it in a way that was helpful. And I do think one time I want to bring, when we have a, a clearing conversation to have, I would love to do a podcast if it, if it comes to life, because I think talking about it and doing it real time 
would be a gift so people can see when an ego defense comes up and how we navigate it and find each other through it. I think that would be such a blessing and a gift. Mm. Yeah. I think the foundation of trusting each other mm -hmm. is critical, mm -hmm. of knowing that uh, we're on the same boat mm -hmm. is really important because then, then it's not about, like it doesn't become, doesn't let the ego take it so far. Mm -hmm. And it feels like, okay, we're in this shared vessel and we're going to need to figure this out one way or another, maybe not in this right instant. And I've got your best interest at heart. Yeah. And I think that that is important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I notice I want to just really acknowledge you because you, you make it very easy for, for me to hear whenever you have something to share, some feedback, because you do it in a way that doesn't feel like you're pointing fingers. Mm -hmm. Even though you may be telling me something that I'm doing doesn't work for you, mm -hmm. it, it, it's it's remarkable yeah. how you do that. Thank you. I've never met anyone that does that Thank the way you. you do. It it I value I value that, and I feel like you're quick to go to being loving and not right, and mm -hmm. that makes it easy for me to join you in that mm -hmm. rather than continuing to escalate further. Yeah, and one thing that I want to share that's very common in relationships. Um, is that people keep tabs. Yeah. And, and, and people have this sense of like, I'm doing all of this. So it's unbalanced and yeah. they think usually there's a giver, right? And they think that they're always giving and they don't really mind always giving until they do. Mm -hmm. And, and being conscious about any time that we are keeping that subtle tab, mm -hmm. I think is really important because mm -hmm. those add up and they build resentment. Yeah, And I think whether it's through therapy or coaching or just setting time for conversation to say, Hey, to clear it. this is what's, this is what I'm experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, we grow closer as a result. Don't, put, don't let it just pile up under the rug, just clear it as it comes up. It's, I think that's one of the gifts I got from my parents, you know, through their marriage, they said that that was the thing that they could have worked on more. And mm. because I heard that and I watched them separate, I think I've over-communicated you know, maybe a little bit too much. I'm an external processor, you're an internal processor, but it's really worked in our favor. And I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. And I also know, and we've heard this, I think this was from Mary Holnick talking about how to map out arguments so that you're not triggered in the moment, going to your more reptilian brain and, you know, going into fight or flight and defense mechanisms. It's like mapping out how you want to argue. And I think that there's a level of respect that we've kind of agreed to mm -hmm. In, in no matter what comes up, there's still respect, you know, and we can still lovingly call each other. I, I do think it's going to be fun if we do a podcast where we have a clearing conversation where it's real, real, really lived. But I think it's important to say, how do we want to move through an argument? How do, before we go into this ego defense, you know, what are some pillars that we want to honor for each other and ourselves? Because yeah, it's, we're, we're going to argue or something is a riff or misunderstanding is going to come up, but do we grow closer together as a result of it? Yeah. Again, also another critical part is to know how your partner feels loved. Yeah. Because it may not be the same way that you're used to giving love. Right? Yeah. And that's something that's more common culture now, this five languages of love. But I think it's, it's not just five languages, right? Yeah. There's all these subtle ways in which which I think my offering and element of devotional uh, interest in how I meet you mm -hmm. uh, can be a lot more effective mm -hmm. if I know how you receive it. And just a simple conversation of what's really important to you. 
helps that. Yeah. And that being said, you know, the thing that there are so many things that I love about you, mm. your presence, your generosity. You have taught me to be so, you know, you were talking about this like tit for tat or counting. I never feel that from you. Mm. I don't feel like I operate that either, but you have a level of generosity and deeply seeing people, whether it's the woman who's cleaning the gym or the president of this and that company, you just drop all labels to be with people and see them. And your playful prankster spirit of like me walking into the room and you're like making yourself laugh, watching pranks. Like you're genuinely here. I, I genuinely think that you are an angel mm-hmm. and that you forgot that you have feet. That's why you're so clumsy. And I see that you're here to serve and to love and to play, just to be adventurous. You live that. And I, I admire you more than anyone in the world. And I get to see you in your day to day. And the way that you live so free is beyond anything that I can comprehend. Like you skate through life. And there's so much I want to highlight and honor about the work that you've done and the freedom that you've tapped into. And we will do another podcast on that at one point. But I wanted to do this to introduce you to my community and share some of our learnings along the way. And I want to just highlight how you being who you are makes me being who I am way easier. Mm. You you really are a remarkable human being, the way you show up in the world, mm. the way you love and you're committed to your path and to sharing your gifts, to being truthful with what is, with what is real for you, even if it's unpopular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How you choose to bring all of yourself forward and have pristineness in your relationships and clean, don't let anything linger. Like you, you really, you, you walk the talk. Mm-hmm. Like you've been, you've been committed to these practices and these tools and this learning and you've been coaching, but you live it. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't understand the theory. You, you live the theory mm-hmm. and it's beautiful. It doesn't mean that you always get it right, but even when you don't get it right, you are so quick to own it. Thank you, Mar. It's beautiful to witness yeah. you. And I, I, you know, rereading our vows, you know, we can do self-love, which is beautiful, but in meeting you, you help me love myself more fully. Mm. You love parts of me that I didn't dare to love yet. And Mm. through the way you saw me and saw these parts, which is literally taught me unconditional love. Mm. You know, sometimes the way you look at me even, uh, you know, I think I'm the most beautiful woman in the world. And I look in the mirror, I'm like, okay, <laughs> but mm-hmm. the way that you see me and accept all of me has helped me come home to myself and settle my nervous system. And so I thank you for that. And I, I'm curious if there's anything in parting that you would want to share with people on, on a path to enhancing their relationships, if there's anything that comes to mind. No matter how convincing, choosing to keep your heart open is a better option. Thank you for living that. You live that. Mm. I love you. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for doing this work that changes the world, starting with yourself. It truly does make a difference. And if you're finding value in this podcast, a cost-free way to support us is by leaving an up to five-star review. It does mean the world to us. And as a thank you gift, we're going to send you one of the most powerful tools that you will ever discover. 
You're gonna get behind the scenes access showing you how to live into your full potential without letting fear hold you back from stepping into your dreams. Just head over to Apple Podcast or Spotify and leave a review now. You can take a screenshot before hitting submit and then go to alissanobriga.com forward slash podcast to upload it. And make sure to have your automatic downloads turned on wherever you listen so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. I have so much magic I can't wait to share with you. And you can find all this information in the show notes below. But lastly, if you're on Instagram, I love connecting and hearing from you. So come on over and say hello. I'm at alissanobriga. Thank you again for being here. I cannot wait to share more with you.